welcome to Stories of Faith and Hope, the podcast that inspires your faith and gives you reason to hope. I'm your host, Joel Sutherland. I hope you had an incredible Christmas, surrounded by friends and family, eating too much food and avoiding those awkward questions that family members always seem to ask when they're together. I know that I had a great Christmas. Unfortunately, though, I'm recording this before the holiday, but uh, we leave in a couple of days to fly to Southern California to spend Christmas with Chelsea's side of the family, so I know we will have an amazing time. Well, in today's episode, we begin our journey through Daniel chapter 11. Uh, This is a complicated chapter with a lot of information in it, so don't say I didn't warn you. This is probably also one of the most controversial chapters in Daniel, with several major viewpoints in interpretation. As I mentioned once we get started, I chose to use the commentary written by Pastor Tim Rosenberg. Now, he was a guest on this podcast when he came to do a live series at the Lawrenceburg Church, and you can find more information and the verse-by-verse commentary that I will be referencing online at islamandchristianity.org. Again, a lot of information to cover, so let's get started. Here is part one of Daniel chapter 11. Our uh, last Daniel episode was on Daniel chapter 10. Remember, Gabriel had come to Daniel and had explained the vision to him. And in Daniel 11, Gabriel continues his conversation as he shows Daniel what's going to happen in the future. And uh, kind of wrapping up Daniel 11 12 all in this conversation. Now, much of the material that I'm going to be using as we go through Daniel 11 is provided by Tim Rosenberg at the website islamandchristianity.org. Now, if you remember, uh, we've had Tim Rosenberg on the show. He was a guest in Season 2, Episode 6, so make sure you go back and listen to that if you haven't yet. Uh, It's titled Tim Rosenberg, Islam and Christianity and Bible Prophecy. That was Episode 6 of the podcast, and we'll link that below if you're listening to this on the uh, on the podcast, if you're listening to this on the local radio station, um, then you can go to the podcast website at uh, faithandhoperadio.com, and there you can access it. Season 2, Episode 6, Tim Rosenberg talks on there. And so he kind of summarizes Daniel 11 when he's on the podcast and talks about the heart and soul of it. But uh, we're going to continue our journey through Daniel, as we have been doing, verse by verse, and we're going to start Daniel 11 today. I'm not sure how many episodes we're going to have with Daniel 11 because it's a huge block and uh, a huge section of the Bible. But uh, we'll start on it and we'll see how this goes. Uh, also, make sure you check out Tim Rosenberg's website, islamandchristianity.org. Um, he has all of uh, much more information than we'll be able to cover in this, um, in this episode online. So, In Daniel chapter 11, I'm reading from the clear word, paraphrase, and it begins like this. Gabriel continued, In the first year of Darius, the Mede, right after Babylon had fallen, I was sent there to support and strengthen him. Now, remember what we had in Daniel 10. We had this this battle between the... the, um, Well, Daniel had started praying, and Gabriel... It took him three weeks to get to Daniel to answer his prayer. And the reason was is because they were in, um, the king of Persia was refusing to cooperate and help carry out God's plan. And so Gabriel was locked in this conflict with with the evil forces over the mind of of the king of Persia. And so finally, Michael, Jesus Christ himself, comes in 
and and saves the day. And so uh, we kind of see behind the curtain and see the uh, spiritual forces that are behind the the politics and the different things that happen today. So anyway, in, in Daniel 11, it begins uh, Gabriel saying, In the first year of Darius the Mede, right after Babylon had fallen, I was sent there to support and strengthen him. Verse 2. After Cyrus, three more kings are to rule Persia. The fourth one will be richer and stronger than the three before him. Because of his riches and strength, he will attack the country of Greece. All right, let's pause there just for a minute. So, uh, it says that there are three more kings that will arise in Persia, and the fourth one will be richer and stronger than the three before him. Now, these four kings are Cambyses II, Smyrdas, Darius I, and then Xerxes. And, uh, of course, Xerxes excelled in wealth and power. He launched an elaborate campaign against Greece and ended up losing. Now, this is an interesting pattern that we're going to be seeing throughout the, the chapter here in Daniel 11. When a rich and or powerful king attacks a rising kingdom and ends up fairly, faring poorly or losing to that kingdom, the prophetic focus then switches to the rising power, although the current about-to-fall power, in this context, the Persians, continues for some time. Now, we're going to see as we read the next verse that the prophecy switches focus to the Greeks, but the Persians haven't quite fallen yet. And we'll see the same pattern when we get from Greece to Rome as well, and, and so on. So that's, that's just a setup. So even though Xerxes wasn't the last kingdom, king in Persia, the focus of the prophecy is going to be switching to Greece. Uh, verse 3. But a strong king will arise in Greece and defeat the Persians. He will extend his conquests farther than any previous king, and will do whatever he wants. At the height of his powers, the young king will suddenly die and his kingdom will be divided. Eventually, it will emerge into four parts, ruled by his powerful commanders. Some parts will be given to others, but not one part of his kingdom will be given to his descendants. Now, we've talked about him before. We've we've seen this king in previous prophecies in the book of Daniel. And this is, of course, Alexander the Great. He ruled, or he lived from 336 to 323 BC. He ruled for that long. And he was the mighty king of Greece. Uh, this is a firm anchor point in this passage. It's a very well-known king and kingdom. Of course, when he died, four lesser kingdoms emerged. Um, they ended up becoming Greece, Asia Minor, Syria, and Egypt. And uh, that's when, when Alexander died. There was no clear line of secession. And so it was divided amongst his four generals. Of course, verse 4 says that he would, you know, he would die his kingdom would be divided. Let's go on to verse 5. One of these commanders and his family will rule Egypt and become very strong. He will be known as the king of the south. Another commander and his family will rule Syria and will become stronger than those who supported him. He will be known as the king of the north and will greatly extend his kingdom. There will be war between Egypt and Syria. At a later time, the ruler of Egypt will make an alliance with the ruler of Syria by giving him his daughter in marriage. But the alliance will not last, and she, her husband, her child, and all those who support her will be killed. All right. So basically, we have these four kingdoms. Uh, we have the king of the south, which was Ptolemy I. Uh, he ruled in Egypt. And the king of the north, which is the ruler of Syria, Seleucus I, who once served under Ptolemy as one of his princes. 
Now, Ptolemy II ends up giving his daughter Bernice in a marriage alliance to his rival Antiochus II, uh, the king of the north. But upon Ptolemy's death, Antiochus returned to his ex-wife, Laodice, whom he had divorced in order to marry Bernice. Uh, Laodice then poisons Antiochus and had Bernice and her child murdered uh, so her son Seleucus II could ascend the throne. So you see this prophesied here, and it came to pass. Verse 7. But one from her family will become king of Egypt and will avenge her death by attacking the king of Syria. He will be victorious in his attack and will conquer all of Palestine. He will take many captives and bring back the sacred idols that have been taken away. He will also bring home much silver and gold. Then he will honor his God for giving him the victory. He will not attack the king of Syria again. After some years of peace, the king of the north will attack the king of the south to to retrieve his riches, but he will not defeat the king of the south. The king of the north will be forced to return to his own land. All right. So what's this talking about in, in history? Uh, Ptolemy III, which is, of course, the king of the south, uh, Bernice's brother, after Bernice's murder, launched a successful campaign against the king of the north, Seleucus II, who fled. Ptolemy took 40,000 talents worth of silver, 4,000 talents of gold, and 2,500 idols from the Syrians back to Egypt. Seleucus II then recovered Syria. Verse 10. Then the anger of his sons will be stirred up, and they will assemble a huge army. One son will be murdered, and the other will sweep down on Egypt like a powerful flood and capture many fortresses. He will also overrun the land of Palestine. Then the king of the south will become angry and declare war on Syria and inflict a terrible defeat on her large army. He will be proud of his victory and the thousands he has killed, but he will not follow up on his success. In a few years, he will die. The king of Syria will attack the new king of Egypt to avenge himself of his earlier defeat. This time, he will have a larger army and be better equipped. All right, so what's that talking about? Seleucus III succeeded Seleucus II. This is the king of the north, the king of Syria. He raised up an army and launched a campaign against Attalus I of the Attalid dynasty. Seleucus III was assassinated after a brief two-year reign. His younger brother, Antiochus III, also king of Syria, or Antiochus the Great, succeeded him, amassed an army, and marched against Ptolemy IV, who was king of Egypt at that time, or the king of the south. He was successful until his defeat at Raphia in 217 BC, a loss which nullified his previous gains. Now, Ptolemy IV, uh, of course, king of Egypt still, his heart being lifted up after his victory in Palestine, sought to enter the Jewish temple. The Jews resisted him, so he had tens of thousands put to death. Put to death. Um, but then Antiochus III returned to wage war against the Ptolemies, and by 198 BC, nearly 20 years after his defeat at Raphia, Antiochus had succeeded in taking possession of Palestine. Let's let's read about this, verse 14. Many others will stand up against the king of Egypt. The violent among your people will try to use this to advance the national interest and fulfill God's promises, but will not succeed. The king of Syria will push south and capture the most fortified cities by building dirt ramps to the tops of their walls. Even the stronger Egyptian army will not be able to stand against him. He will take over Palestine and do whatever he wants. He will try to force your people to give up their religion and adopt the religion and culture of the Greeks. So, of course, he ended up taking possession of Palestine uh, the Battle of Panaeum in 198 BC marked the end of the Ptolemaic rule in Palestine. 
It should be noted that at the end of the divided Greek power, the king of the north, or the king of Syria, is in control of Jerusalem. There's a parallel with the end of the divided Roman time just before the rise of God's kingdom. The Roman king of the north is victorious over the king of the south and takes Jerusalem. Uh, verse 17. Then the king of Rome will come with the strength of his kingdom and invade the land of Palestine. He will force the king of Syria to withdraw and cast his influence over the land of Egypt. The king of the south will give him his daughter, but she will not be for him nor stand by his side. He will turn his attention to the coastlands in the north and then take his army and return to his homeland. He will have many victories, but his arrogance and pride will lead to his downfall. After his return home, he will stumble and fall at the hand of one of his own friends who will assassinate him. So Antiochus III, which is the king of Syria, gave his daughter Cleopatra in marriage to Ptolemy V, the king of Egypt, hoping to use her to conquer Egypt through intrigue. Now, to his dismay, Cleopatra stood against her father. Antiochus then turned against Asia Minor, which are the coastlands mentioned in, in Daniel 11, but was turned back or defeated by the Roman commander Lucius Cornelius Scipio in 190 BC. Antiochus III was killed while trying to plunder a pagan temple near Susa just a year following the peace accords with Rome. Thus, he stumbled and fell and was found no more. The role of the king of the north switches to Rome at this point. Again, this is the principle pointed out by uh, Roy Gain, which is a theologian. When a rich and powerful ruler from the current kingdom, Greece at this time, attacks the rising kingdom and does not do well, the pro prophetic focus now will switch to the new rising kingdom, which is Rome. Of course, we talked about that a little bit ago. This is where we hear about Cleopatra. I'm sure many of you are familiar with her. And she was prophesied in the book of Daniel in, in chapter 11 here. Verse 20, his successor will issue a decree for everyone to, to be taxed to support his kingdom. A few years later, he will die peaceably, not by assassination or in battle. In his place, someone despised and looked down on will obtain the throne. He will do so not by force, but by intrigue and political maneuvering. Once he becomes king, no one will dare oppose him. He will have a huge army under his command and will lead military campaigns both east and west. It will be during his reign that the Prince of the Covenant will be put to death. Pause there for just a second. What's going on here? So, Augustus Caesar, the first Roman emperor whose taxing or census is recorded in Luke 2, verse 1, is the successor mentioned in verse 20. Remember, Daniel said his successor, or Gabriel said to Daniel, his successor will issue a decree for everyone to be taxed to support his kingdom. And then he ends up dying peacefully. Now, in his place, verse 21 said, someone despised and looked down on will obtain the throne. He'll do this by intrigue and political maneuvering. Well, through divorce, remarriage, and killings, Tiberius became the next emperor, but was never popular. During his rule, uh, Jesus, the Prince of the Covenant, is, is killed. The force of a flood is a reference to the coming destruction of Jerusalem, which Daniel likened to, uh, or linked to the death of Jesus. So, verse 22 is obviously talking about Jesus being put to death and, uh, and having a, a, a foreshadowing of the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, we are out of time, so we're going to stop there. But 
I want to just highlight what we've talked about so far. Uh, we've we've seen a lot of historical facts and figures and people, people that we've read about in, in historical textbooks as we go through this. But remember that Daniel is being told this by the angel Gabriel hundreds of years before this stuff happened. And uh, he he prophesies about these things that did come to pass and a lot of specific stuff uh, like, like Cleopatra and the taxation that Caesar Augustus gave that, that brought Jesus and his family to Bethlehem. And then of course the, the death of Jesus himself. So just remember, I don't know what your life looks like right now. I don't know how out of control things seem to be, but God has a plan He's mapped out your life just as he did the lives of countless others in prophetic history. And he has brought you onto the stage of this earth, just as he did those in Daniel chapter 11 for such a time as this. So take heart, look around, realize that this, <laughs> this world is not just left to chance. The, the uh, activities and, and things that are happening are, are happening for a reason. And God is still in control. And that's the main thing I hope you get out of this episode. You are here by chance, no more than was Caesar Augustus or the Prince of the Covenant. God loves you and he sees you. And I don't think there's any better news out there. Next week, we conclude our journey through Daniel 11. And here is a sample of that episode. Because of persecution, many will lose their lives, but the faith of all will be purified, refined, and cleansed. This will continue right up to the beginning of the time of the end. Then there will be a little interval of peace before the actual end comes. That episode will be released next week, right here on Stories of Faith and Hope. Make sure you're subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this episode on so you don't miss the continuation of our Daniel series and other future episodes of the show. You can find out more information and find links to other platforms on our website, faithandhoperadio.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Faith and Hope Radio. Music for this episode was provided by Dexter Britton under the Creative Commons license. I hope you have an amazing day, that you had a Merry Christmas, and that you will have a Happy New Year. And until next week, have faith and hope.